Welcome to the Granary Church podcast. We're happy you could join us. For more information on the Granary Church, head to granary.org.au or follow our socials at the Granary Church. So welcome everyone. If you're here for the first time, welcome. If you're here for the many, many times of your life, welcome. It's great to be here. And tonight we're um, looking at our vision, our collective vision for the year. That's why it's important to gather together. And we have an online community that have been um, getting into this today as well. And already some of them are sending messages to show they're getting into the vision for the year. So this is good. But it's great when we come together because um, being a church means that we come together all different types of people from all different walks of life and all different backgrounds and all different experiences and God pulls pulls us together and that's the first challenge, different people coming together with the one purpose in mind and that's what he's going to do with us this year. That's why we come together to, uh, to affirm our love and our devotion to God and to one another and to see what he will do with us as this year progresses and just as and we're in a few of us were in the prayer meeting beforehand, we we're talking about what God is saying, and we all believe that God is saying it's uh, it's time to stop doing things ourselves, and uh, allow more freely the Holy Spirit to do things through us, the things that only He can do. That's an exciting thing. Well, Graham and I were driving up the M2 towards Pennant Hills Road a couple of weeks ago. When you get to the end, if you've been doing this drive recently, you might notice there's a big billboard at the end can't exactly remember what it was advertising, but as we drove past it, I saw it mentioned something about red tape. And uh, you all know what red tape is, don't you? Has anyone ever experienced red tape? Got to be careful what organisations I, uh, I mention here. And this morning I mentioned City Council. There's some beautiful people in our church who work in City Council. So no offence to anyone, but when I say red tape, everyone knows what I t- I'm talking about. Don't know. You apply for something and it doesn't happen because there's a lot of red tape. But in that process, have you ever seen any red tape? Like, have you ever, real red tape? And I haven't. So anyway, we're driving along late at night and I'm thinking, I wonder where that term comes from. Maybe that's from 50 years ago. Maybe that's from 100 years ago. Um, I'd like to know where that comes from. So we Googled it and I discovered that it comes from 16th century Spain. And in 16th century Spain, there was a king called King Charles V of Spain and his administration had a problem with too much administrative work and how to prioritise it. And people were grumbling about administration in 16th century Spain, just as they do now. Nothing's changed. And so this king came up with a great idea, he and some of his cohorts, about how about we take the really important urgent documents and we'll bind them with red tape. And the other ones that aren't as important, we'll bind with string. And nothing much has changed because sometimes I feel like I have some things that are going through different places and they're bound with string and nothing is happening. So red tape started then and this caught on through the monarchies of Europe. Everyone thought, this is a great idea. We'll bind our most important documents with red tape. It went to England, it's gone all around the world and 500 years later we're still talking about red tape, even though none of us really know what that red tape is all about. And uh, it's probably changed its meaning a little bit along the way because uh, red tape meant urgent. Now when we say there's a lot of red tape, we mean that it's taking too long to get there. We think it's urgent and someone else doesn't. So the meaning's changed over the years. And that's what happens to a lot of things. A lot of things in life, you speak about it and the meaning tends to change a bit over the years and we still talk about it as if we know what we're talking about, but we actually don't know what we're talking about. And I believe that can happen to us when we talk about the gospel. 
The gospel is a word that means good news. And if you're here and you are a follower of Jesus, hopefully you have an idea what the good news is. But I wonder if we all stop now and say, what is the good news? Would we all have exactly the same description of what the good news is? And I believe in this time that we're going through in the world um, of shaking and of the church being shaken, that God is saying so clearly to not just us but to so many churches, you have to get rid of the, the extraneous things and get back to what the good news is all about. What does it actually mean? Now, N.T. Wright, in his book Simply Good News, Why the Gospel is News and What Makes It Good, writes this, But many people today assume that Christianity is one or more of these things, our religion, a moral system, our philosophy. And so before we go on and you look at those things, a religion, a moral system or a philosophy, you could think, yes, many people do think that, people who aren't here tonight. Or maybe if they are here, they're sitting on the other side of the room to me. Or it might be that person next to me, but it's not me. So I just want to challenge this for a moment. Because if many people in the world today assume that Christianity is a religion, a moral system or a philosophy, and we live in this world, perhaps some of that idea has slipped into our way of thinking. Just perhaps. And it's really good to stop and ask yourself, has any of that, do I see it as a religion? With um, rules to follow, do I see it as a moral system that if we can just get the moral bit right, it will all be all right? Do I think it's a philosophy of just nice ideas? And we like to bring it it down to that for several reasons. Humanity loves to do that because you can make laws, you can make rules, you can pop it all in a box and it all seems really, really easy. And if everyone just would do what we've got in our box, it's all going to be really, really easy. And he goes on to say, in other words, they assume that Christianity is about advice. But it wasn't and it isn't. Christianity is simply good news. It's the news that something has happened as a result of which the world is a different place. Something has happened. So what is it that's happened? So in um, Luke 4, there's a little story about Jesus and I just want to put get into context so, um, for those of you who aren't sure of how the life of Jesus works here. So in this, in this book of Luke about Jesus, it's the Gospel of Luke, Chapter 4 is very early in the piece. The first couple of chapters talk about his birth and there's a a big gap and now you've got Jesus who's about 30 and he's starting his ministry. And it starts off with him being baptised and then the Holy Spirit leads him into the wilderness. The Holy Spirit does where he's tempted by the devil and he overcomes. And once he overcomes, he's ready to go back and and start his ministry. And um, as his ministry starts in his own hometown, he... uh, this is, he goes around to different places and he's, amazing things are happening, amazing things. He's healing people. He's casting out evil spirits. He went to the house of a man called Simon whose mother-in-law was sick and dying and she, he healed her immediately and she got up and cooked dinner for them and extraordinary things were happening. Now you can sit and hear that from way back 2,000 years ago. But so translate it to today to get yourself into this picture. Someone comes to our church here and every time they come here, Every week, anyone who's sick goes to them for prayer, instantaneously healed. People who are going through tormenting times, immediately everything turns around. It would be exciting, wouldn't it? Every week. And so this is what's happening in this community and it's like, we want this to keep happening to us. This is great. And so Jesus goes out to a solitary place to pray and it says the people were looking for him. And when they came to where he was, they tried to keep him from leaving them, as you would. That's what we would do too. But he said... 
I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns also because that is why I was sent. Now what he's saying to them is I'm not just here to do some like special tricks for you almost. I'm not just here for you can have these sort of see these miracles happen. This is so much better. What I'm doing through these is I'm proclaiming good news and it's good news about a kingdom. So he's not just doing so sometimes we can think it's just like Every now and then um, we have power to do something. Jesus is saying, no, no, this is something. A new authority has come into the world and wherever he goes, he turns things upside down. He has the power over evil. He has the power over sickness. He has the power over death. A new authority is coming into the world and he's proclaiming the good news. And the good news, Jesus says, is about the good news of the kingdom. And sometimes we reduce it to the good news of being that you can be born again. Now that's an essential part but is not the full gamut of the good news. It's the good news of the kingdom of God and being born again is how you enter into the kingdom of God. So N.T. Wright says this, the good news that Jesus announced, like the good news that his first followers announced about him, was not a piece of advice. Jesus doesn't come and give advice, as we may presume he does, however good. It was about something that had happened. So he doesn't come and say, I'm preaching good, new, good, good advice. He says, I'm preaching good news that a kingdom has arrived about something that would happen as a result and about the new, new moment between those two, the moment in which people were in fact living, whether they realised it or not. So there is this moment where um, between Jesus' death and resurrection and the return of Jesus, which you and I live in now, it is a new moment. Whether you realise it or not, something has happened. The kingdom of God has come into this world and it is very, very present. And the way to see it is being born again. Do you know, I was listening to John Mark Comer recently. He was talking about the good news of the kingdom of God. And he said, sometimes people say to him, you don't preach the gospel. And he said, I actually preach the gospel every week. I preach the good news of the kingdom of God. What you mean by that is every week I don't actually invite someone to come forward and give their life to Christ. Because Jesus said this, very truly I tell you no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. In other words, he's saying being born again is entry into the kingdom of God. He says no one can see the kingdom of God unless they're actually born again. So if you're born again, if, you, um, if you've moved away from seeing Christianity as a, a moral code or a philosophy or a religion and you actually realise it's none of those, that it's actually a new authority and I can be born into this kingdom, you are born again. But just like you do when you, when you have a baby who's, who's brand new, that is not the, the full expression of their life when they're born. That is the beginning of their life in this world. And it's the same when you are born again into the kingdom of God. It's the beginning of something and you start to grow into it and you start to discover who you are and what your gifts and talents are and what you bring to this world. And it's the same in the kingdom of God. You grow into the kingdom of God and you start to become a new creation and you start to discover the gifts and the talents and the experiences that you have that you can bring into this world under this authority of Jesus who is bringing in this new authority into the world. And N.T. Wright continues, Once people grasp that the events of the Messiah's death and resurrection have transformed everything and that they are now living between that initial explosive event and God's final setting right of the world, when God is all in, in all, then everything will change. And this is you. Once you grasp this, that this, the Messiah's death and resurrection has transformed everything and you are now living between 
that initial explosive event and God's setting right of the world, everything changes. Your beliefs change. Your belief in who God is and who his, what his power is and the, the power of his resurrection, the power of his suffering, the power of, of who he is in your life, the, your belief about yourself, your behaviour changes. Your attitudes change without you trying to change them. Your expectations change. Once you believe in the incredible power and the grace and love of God in your life, your expectations change. You lose hopelessness. And not least, a new love, a real sense of belonging, which springs up among those who share all this. This is what so much of Paul's writing is about. A new love springs into your life when you get this. So so much of religion is not about a new love. So much of religion is about division and hatred. But with Jesus, when you, when you encounter Jesus and you enter into his kingdom, the hallmark of it is love. I went to see the movie Belfast, and uh, I won't spoil what happens in it for you, but you, if, you, if you're going to go to see it, you, you'll probably know. It's uh, set in 1969 in Belfast in Northern Ireland with the, the clash between the Protestants and the Catholics and those who were angry with each other and those who were trying to not be angry and the incredible tension that is brought in by the church. And you could say, well, people who acted like that weren't followers of Jesus, but they acted using his name. It's a tragedy. And there's this sad, sad line in this little boy in the movie where he says, I've had enough of God for today. And I'm sad to say that, and you know this, that the church has over the years has been so guilty of misrepresenting who Jesus really is and narrowing things down to a religion or a philosophy or a moral system. And when we do that, we start to divide and the ugliness of humanity comes out. And I believe it's the time for the church to repent of anything like that and to turn it round and to see, to become the people that Jesus has called us to become. And that healing would come from those who, for those who have suffered at the hands of ugly religion rather than the saving grace of Jesus Christ. And that is the good news of the kingdom that we get to bring into the world. And so in John 13, Jesus is speaking to his disciples and he's telling them that he is going to die. And they don't want to hear this, but he's telling them something incredibly important that they need to know. And you and I need to know this as well. He says to them, My children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now, where I'm going, you cannot come. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. Now what he's saying here is incredibly important for them and for you and me here today as well, because what he's explaining to them is this. Up until now, these disciples have been the ones who have followed Jesus around in his ministry. And when he does amazing teaching, they're standing there beside him. When he heals someone, they're standing there beside him. When he performs a miracle, they're standing there beside him. And so everyone says they are his disciples because they follow him around. They learn from him. They're learning from him. And so he said, but soon I won't be here. So then, wherever you go, how will people know then that you are my disciples? What will be the hallmark then that people say, this must be a disciple of Jesus, even though we can't see Jesus? How do we know that he is a disciple of Jesus? And they say, this, and Jesus says this, as you love one another, that's how people will know that you're my disciples. 
Now that's a good question for all of us, isn't it? Because if you um, have neighbours and someone asks, oh, how do you know that they're Christians? And they say, look, I know they're Christians because every Sunday they get in their car and they drive to church. And I know that because I see they take the Bible. They, you probably don't see that now because they have their phone in their pocket and that means nothing anymore. Or I know that they're Christians because every year they ask me to their Christmas production or to Easter, which is great. But Jesus said, everyone will know you're my disciples if you love one another as I have loved you. And we need to ask ourselves, if you are a disciple of Jesus and I'm a disciple of Jesus, would people say, oh, yes, I know they're a Christian. I know they follow Jesus because the way they love is just amazing, just amazing. So for those first disciples and the disciples now, Jesus is saying that's how people will know, not because you have good advice, not even because you can pray for miracles. As great as that is, people will know you are his disciples by the way that you love. And the love is like this. Jesus calls it a new commandment because before it was said, love others as you love yourself. And that's like a bit of a shaky benchmark because sometimes you can be too soft on yourself, sometimes you can be too hard on yourself, sometimes you don't love yourself. So it can change. But here's a benchmark that never changes. Love one another as I have loved you, Jesus says. As I have loved you. So that means you look at Jesus and you see how he loves people. Jesus hangs out with people that no one else would hang out. In fact, he risks his reputation by hanging out with people that you really in the day you shouldn't hang out with. Jesus loves people by talking to people in ways that's socially unacceptable, talking to women when you're not meant to talk to women, giving people value and dignity when society says they don't have value and dignity. But most of all, Jesus loves people by doing an extraordinary thing have you ever done something that hurt someone? Something you wish you hadn't done? Anyone? A couple of us, right? Yes, a couple of us relate to this. Some people are saying, right, can't quite remember that time. Well, ask someone you live with. They might clarify it for you if you're unsure. And it might be recent. It could be a long time ago. Have you done something you regret? That's the thing. And if you've done something that you regret, do you find that it's kind of when you think about it, it kind of you cringe because you wish you hadn't done it because it's like a stain on you because you didn't want to be like that. You didn't want to be that sort of person. And you gave in to some, something and you said something or did something and just wish you hadn't done it and you really, really regret it and you can't get rid of it. And what you really want is this sense of obligation. Of you, you, sometimes you don't know how to make it up to someone. And you know that they are holding it against you. And you just wish it could be taken away. And even if you don't know them, you don't know if they're holding it against you or not, you just wish it could be taken away. And you do not have the power to do it. You don't have the power to do it. But when Jesus died on the cross for you, he paid the penalty for every sin you've done. And you think of that thing now and he paid for that and he actually set you free. It's like if that was sticking to you, he took it off. You don't have it anymore. You've been set free from that. That is the most incredible love because it is impossible really uh, as natural people to release people from what they've done wrong, to say, I'm setting you right as if it never happened. That's powerful. That's what his love looks like. And then he says, in the same way, love one another. Forgive as if it never happened. Wipe it away as if it never happened. What a challenge. As I have loved you, so you love one another. It goes way beyond giving a donation to something. 
It's so much bigger than that. It's actually being like Jesus in his sacrificial death for us that people would be restored. That's how we're called to love one another. And it's not easy. And that's why Jesus says, if you want to be my disciple, you need to take up your cross and follow me. Theo was preaching a couple of weeks ago about how I'm quoting Mark Sayers saying the church has become such a a consumeristic and apathetic organisation. And, uh, and we can all fall into that trap of I just want to be in the church for what I can get. And Jesus came to the earth not for what he could get but for what he could give. And he said, and that's how I'm calling you to love one another. So the NT Wright says, The resurrection declared that Jesus was not the ordinary sort of political king, a rebel leader that some had supposed. He was the leader of a far larger, more radical revolution than anyone had ever supposed. He was inaugurating a whole new world, a new creation, a new way of being human. He was forging a way into a new cosmos, a new era, a new form of existence, hinted at all along, but never before unveiled. Here it is, he was saying, this is the new creation you've been waiting for. It's open for business. Come and join in. He's opening the way for a new way of being human. And a new way of being human means pulling together to enable this to happen amongst all of us. And to do this, this is something that you cannot do by yourself. In Acts 1.8, Jesus was talking to his disciples before he ascends into heaven and he says to them, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You will need the power of God to do this. If it was a philosophy, a moral code or a religion, you would need a set of rules and a good guidebook. You get the Bible as your guidebook, but you need the power of the Holy Spirit to do this because without that Holy Spirit filling you, it's actually impossible. But when you do have the Holy Spirit filling you, you see things happen that you never would have thought could happen. In yourself to begin with, if once you're impatient, you suddenly find patience coming into your life, he starts to do extraordinary things within you. And Tim Keller says, On the other hand, the church is to be an agent of the kingdom. It's not only to model the healing of God's rule, but it is to spread it. And what he's saying there is so incredibly important that when you move into the kingdom of God, you start to live under the authority of the kingdom of God. So it's not just something that you, um, a, a rule you follow, it's actually submitting to his authority, being filled with his spirit, listening to him daily and even momentarily is the things that you are called to do and to say. Christians go into the world as witnesses of the kingdom and it's a healing kingdom. It's a healing kingdom. You see, everywhere Jesus went, he brought healing of all different sorts because under his rule and his authority, healing happens. To spread the kingdom of God is more than simply winning people to Christ. It's also working for the healing of persons, families, relationships and nations. It is doing deeds of mercy and seeking justice. It's ordering lives and relationships and institutions and communities according to God's authority to bring in the blessedness of the kingdom. You see, the good news of the kingdom of God actually starts way back in Genesis where God said to Abraham, I will bless you and through you all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And you have been brought into that family through your faith in Jesus that he will bless you and through you all the nations of the earth will be blessed if you will choose to surrender to his authority. John Piper writes this, This is our newness. This is the new commandment. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. Yes, but not by copying my fruit. Are you a good fruit copier? Fruit copying is like this. You know how to look like you're nice. 
you know, you're really grumpy in the car, then you walk into church and you've got a big smile on your face or you're in an argument at home and you answer the phone, you go, hello, really polite. It's called fruit copying. It means you're different things at different peop- to different people at different times. But, but he says, but not by copying my fruit but by connecting to my vine. You don't merely mainly imitate, you participate. Your love for each other is not a simulation of mine but a manifestation of mine. And sometimes we can grow up thinking it's meaning just to act like Jesus. But he's saying it's not just to act. It's actually every day to grow and be filled with the Holy Spirit so that his, his love and his character comes out of us. And this is a transformation process that happens through our lives. You won't get it just tomorrow and you've got to be patient with each other because neither will everyone else get it just tomorrow or today. It's a lifetime of becoming like Jesus. But what we need is each other to be our encouragers, our cheerleaders, to enable us to get there and to show the same grace to each other as God shows to us. You are the branches. I am the vine. If you abide in me, you can bear fruit and prove to be my disciples. This is how all people know you are truly my disciples. So the reason we, the love we have for each other shows that we are truly Jesus' disciples is that it's only possible because we are grafted into the life and love of Christ. We love as he loved, because we love with his love. And that's our call this year. We want to explore what it really means to live in the good news and to pray, proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God. And we want to, you know, to really understand what this good news is all about. It's not just one simple thing. We have four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, and they all tell us what this good news is about. They tell us what the, who the king is and what he's like. They tell us what the, the subjects are and what they are like and what they do and what they have the power to do and how they live and how they act and how they bring healing and how they open the doors wide for more people to come in and be part of this kingdom. And there's a lot of stories about that in the Gospels, the stories about the kingdom of God, stories like the the banqueting table where people didn't want to come and the doors were flung open wide for more and more people to come in, people who never thought they would be able to come and sit around the banqueting table of the Heavenly Father. And you and I have the privilege of doing that, of seeing people who are broken, restored, of seeing people find healing and, and belonging and wholeness in Jesus. And so we are going to have our theme for the year, Know and Be Known, and we're basing it on John 13, 30. Four to 35, which is what I've just read to you before. A new commandment I give to you, love one another as I have loved you. By this all people will know that you are my disciples. And the reason it's called know and be known, know and be known is this. Firstly, to be able to love like he loves us, you have to know and experience that love. You have to experience generosity towards you. When someone's been done something really generous towards you, something wells up in you that you want to go and do something generous to someone else. You want to to look out for them. When someone's rescued you of a, of a difficult situation, you want to look out for people and rescue them from a difficult situation. So when you experience the love, you want to share the love. So if the love of God to you is, is merely a theory, you won't be sharing it. But when you've experienced it firsthand, you want to go and do something for someone else. If someone looks after you when you're really sick, you want to do that for someone else when they're really sick. You want, you want to be there for those people. And you remember it. I remember once Phoebe, my daughter, and I were driving along Glebe Road and crossing City Road and we got into the middle of City Road at about quarter to five on a Friday afternoon. If you don't know where that is, let me tell you, it's really busy. And at that moment, our car conked out right in the middle of City Road. And uh, that was scary. 
And I thought, and we were actually on the phone to Graham at the time saying the car's not going really well. Then we both screamed and he goes, what? And he goes, what? Anyway, he came, but he was a long way away. And so I thought the best thing to do is to open the car doors so that get out so people know we are, no one would run into us. And suddenly as we got out, people ran, got out of their cars and ran from all different places and got our car and pushed it to safety. They immediately responded. And just in that little moment, you feel really loved. And so you're aware if you see someone else break down, I need to do something to help that person. You will all have your stories about when you were really helped. And it's the same with God. When you experience his, when you experience, you don't just read about it. When you experience his incredible love, you long. You, in fact, you don't even have to try. It just comes out of you to other people. So, so firstly, it's to know his love and to experience his love and to be known by him first. And when I say that, you might think, well, doesn't God know everything about me anyway? He does. But you have this part in building a relationship where you allow him to know you. It's like in any relationship, you'll only let so much of yourself out if you feel that that amount of yourself can be trusted, entrusted to someone. And when you experience the love of God, you can reveal to him your dreams, your hopes, your desires, your most exhilarating moments. But you can also drink, give to him your doubts, your fears, your worries, your upsets with him and with other people. You can bring it all to him. And as you bring it all to him in transparency before God, you allow him to love you in those circumstances, in those moments. That's how you get to know him every day, by revealing yourself to him. So firstly, we know him. It's part of our journey is to really know his love. And secondly, it is to be known by our love. Therefore, we become increasingly like him to other people. And also the known is actually as we grow to know each other, as I reveal more of myself to you and you reveal more of yourself to me or whoever you're growing with in Jesus, um, will you receive the same response? Oh, sorry, will you give the same response to someone as God gives to you? If someone is honest to you about them, themselves and their struggles in life or whatever they're going through, will they receive the same response from you as you have received from your Heavenly Father as you are known by him? And that's how we grow into a community that truly reveals the love of God. That's our theme for this year. And as we explore the Gospels in different ways this year, which I'll tell you about next week a little bit more, we will discover what this good news of the kingdom is more, all about more fully. And you might think, I really know it. Can I tell you, it will take your lifetime to understand the really amazing good news of the kingdom of God. And we get to do it together. And, you know, I find every year... In my life, as I read the Bible, I discover so many more amazing things about God. It will take me my whole life and it will take you your whole life to really explore how amazing he is and we get to do it together. But one thing I felt um, God saying for us all today is, is this. that um, it's, This is from 1 Corinthians 9 from the Message Translation. It says, You've all been to the stadium and seen the athletes race. Everyone runs. One wins, run to win. I just feel God impressing on me to say to us all that um, you have one life and one life is yours. It's your gift from God. And in the end, you can blame a lot of people in the world for what goes on in your life. But in the end, it's your life. And I feel God is saying run to win. Don't let anyone hold you back. It's your life. And one day you actually have to stand before the Lord yourself. When my son Sam went to be with the Lord, he was 24, I always loved to be there for my kids, to do everything I can for them. But that day I had this overwhelming thought about Sam standing before Jesus without me there 
to say he's really good because he didn't need me as his advocate. He had Jesus as his advocate. And I want to say the same for you. Make sure you're running your, your race well because it is your life and things and situations and people can hold you back from running this race well. And Paul goes on to say this, run to win. All good athletes train hard. They do it for a gold medal that tarnishes and fades. They train really hard for something that ends up in a cupboard. You're after one that's gold eternally. I don't know about you, but I'm running hard for the finish line. I'm giving it everything I've got. No lazy living for me. I'm staying alert and in top condition. I'm not going to get caught napping, telling everyone also about it, and then missing out myself. And I just feel God is saying that. It's your life. It's a gift from God. The Holy Spirit is a gift from you. Everyone will be give, give, face different situations in their lives, but there is a God who wants to be with you all the way, and is, you have this one opportunity to grow to become like Jesus and to bring his healing love into the world. And may you do it really well. May you do it really, really well. And may you find here a body of believers who are there for you in the good times and the bad times, when you're up and when you're down, when you do amazingly well and you, and you fail miserably, which we all do at times, may you receive the same gracious love that was demonstrated through Jesus' love on the cross for each one of us. May we have that love for one another. Then through us we will see people know that we're his disciples and we'll see the good news of the kingdom spread. So we're just going to look at this one last slide. To know the love of God and be known by our love. We're explaining it like this. We know and experience his sacrificial, steadfast and redeeming love and allow ourselves to be continually transformed by the power of that love. We allow his love to be experienced through us by the power of the Holy Spirit and grow a culture where people are known and loved just as Christ loves us. And this is a thing we can declare together, but I want to read to you first so you know what you're saying. Together we become agents of the kingdom of God dedicated to the healing of people, families, relationships and nations. Together we declare the Spirit of the Lord is upon us and he has anointed us to be hope for the poor, healing for the brokenhearted, new eyes for the blind and to preach to prisoners, you are set free. We have come to share that this is the time of God's favour. So can I invite you to stand? Because... Uh, what a great, it's a beautiful thing to actually remember that we're all in this together and we say this together, if you would like to, so that we dedicate ourselves to God and to one another together, knowing that we're imperfect human beings. But together we have various backgrounds, various life experiences, and we bring together or everything, your, your failures, God redeems them and he uses them, your sorrows and your pains, God redeems them and he uses them. Your successes and your life experiences, God uses them to bring wisdom and strength to other people. Your humility, he uses. Everything that you have, you bring, and everyone benefits from each other. So let's declare this together. Together, we become agents of the kingdom of God, dedicated to the healing of people, families, relationships, and nations. Together, we declare the Spirit of the Lord is upon us and he has anointed us to be hope for the poor, healing for the brokenhearted, new eyes for the blind and to preach to prisoners, you are set free. We have come to share that this is the time of God's favour. So can I pray for you? Then we're going to worship again and uh, make our worship a prayer and a sacrifice.
just bring it to the Lord. If you've never really worshipped before, just discover what it means to just make this a prayer from the depth of your heart. So invite you, if you want to, it's just a gesture to put your hands out in front of you. It's a gesture of receiving. You don't have to, but if you feel comfortable, do that. And just We pray, Father, fill us afresh with your spirit. I want to say that. When we say that, really expect the Holy Spirit to fill you afresh. Don't just say it. Thank you, Father, that as we reach out to you and we say, fill us afresh with your Holy Spirit, right now you are filling us with your Holy Spirit because your word promises that if we ask for the Holy Spirit, you will fill us. The Father, I pray, fill us afresh right now. Every person, fill us from the depth of our being. Heal wounds and hurts and brokenness. Heal fears and worries. Redeem our disappointments. Make use of them for your kingdom. Strengthen us in the inner being. May we be filled with your love that is not of ourselves, but your love. May we be known by your love, not our own, but your love. Fill us with power so that we can see you perform miracles and wonders amongst us. And most of all, may we see the miracle of many, many people coming to know you and to be healed and restored to relationship with you and to others in this world. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to our Sunday podcast. If you enjoyed it, either subscribe or follow on the podcast app that you use to keep up to date on when our next Sunday podcast gets released. Have a safe and blessed week.